want to start this morning um, just by thanking each and every one of you for spending your morning with us. Um, it's, I know that everybody has a lot of things to do, and it means so much to us here at Light City that you would choose to spend your morning with us, that each and every one of you, I want you to know that you matter to us, and your presence here matters to us, and you make our community better just because you're here with us. So give yourself a round of applause, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Um, well, we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning. Um, we're going to talk about the title of my message is The Way of Escape. Uh, when I was 25 years old, um, I remember I went on this missions trip. It was a super last minute, spur of the moment missions trip. Um, I ended up going to Uganda, and then from Uganda, I went to the southern part of Sudan. Uh, and found out like three days before I was going to leave that I was going to get ready to go on this month-long trip. Um, and this trip was, you know, it got really played up. It was supposed to be amazing. We we're going to do crusades and all these things. Um, but essentially, this trip now is commonly referred to in my mind as the trip from hell. Um, <laughs> because that's really what it was. Literally everything that could have gone wrong on this trip went wrong. I mean, our vehicles that we had broke down. Um, we got arrested at one point. Uh, we slept outside. We got chased. In fact, somebody, when we were staying in one of the compounds, actually got shot, like right in front. It wasn't with us, just one of the people in the village got shot. And to top it all off, there was a war at this particular time that we went was when the northern part of Sudan was trying to separate from the southern part of the Sudan. Uh, and so I went literally right in the middle of this civil war that was breaking out in this country. There was LRA, uh, which is, everybody probably knows, you know, Joseph Kony, you know, he got kind of popular the last few years. Uh, his army, the LRA, was literally in our villages. We were at one point confined to our compound. We couldn't go out because this was, it was just a very, very bad time. However, I had a journal. Okay, and my journal essentially became my best friend because at the end of every day, the days were so horribly difficult. And my only solace was I knew that at the end of the day, I was going to be able to get into my bed, you know, wherever that was, whether it was on the dirt or it was somewhere in a compound, I would take out my journal and I would write. And basically, I was writing, like, my goodbye letters. It's really what, if you go back and read it, it was like, this is it. This is the end. I may not make it another day. Uh, and, but I looked forward to every single day writing on these journals because what I did actually was, in the back of my journal, I wrote a countdown. I was there for 31 days in the month of July. And I wrote a countdown for every single day. So the first, the second. And at the end of every day, I would X out the day. And that would be like a celebration because, one, I was still alive. And two, it was that I was one day closer to finally getting home. And so I watched as just the days ticked by. And this was until one morning that I woke up. And we found out that the government, because of the war that was happening, the government had seized all the fuel that all the flights were canceled and we had no way to get home. Let me tell you something, folks. I absolutely, if you ever want to see a grown man cry, like hysterically sob, this was this moment in my life. I actually had to take sleeping pills in order to sleep at night because I was just so ridden with anxiety thinking, I don't know if I can actually make it out of this. And so uh, you know, eventually, thank God we made it. We actually had to bribe the airline in order to let us finally onto the plane. They actually kicked people off of the plane so that we could get on. It was just this crazy thing that happened. 
and, you know, I got home, and everything was great, and it was good. But I tell you something, the trauma of that experience followed me for years after. In fact, for a lot of years, I was actually afraid to go on trips. I didn't want to go anywhere. I wanted to stay home because it had so scarred me. I can actually remember the, uh, earlier this year, I had an opportunity to go to Israel. And it was this amazing trip. It was a 10-day trip that was all expenses paid. Like, I didn't have to pay a single dollar, not my flight, not my food, not my hotels, not the buses, absolutely nothing. And my automatic reaction was, I can't go on that trip. You know, and I did what most people do is I really spiritualized it. You know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm just, I, I fasted and I prayed and, and I sought the will of the Lord for my life. And I feel as though God is not asking me at this time to be a part of this trip to Israel. You know, I was using excuses like, you know, I have a daughter and she's so small. I, you know, the church, so many things are happening in the church. I had all these excuses, but in the end of the day, it was simply that I was just afraid to get on the plane and go on this trip. In fact, I almost turned down what now has been probably one of the most life-changing experiences of my life. I almost turned down because I carried around the trauma from this time that I spent in Israel. Now, maybe you've never been to the Sudan. You know, maybe you never slept outside. Maybe you've never been to a country on the brink of a civil war. But I know that each and every one of us in this room have experienced traumas in our life. Maybe it was a failed business. Maybe it was a painful breakup. Maybe it was a rejection by our peers. Maybe we were fired from a job. Maybe we were mocked by a teacher. Every single person in this room has experienced a trauma in our life. And everyone in life carries around these experiences. We carry around the pain we carry around the stories of the things and the experiences, the issues, the pains, the problems that we have experienced in our life. And I think the worst part about all of these things, about the trauma, is the trauma in the moment is challenging. It's difficult. Getting fired from that job, experiencing that breakup or that heartache hurts in the moment. But I think the worst part about these things in our life is that we allow these past situations to dictate to us our future expectation for what we can experience in our life. Just like me coming home from the Sudan, I allowed that experience to try to shift or change the course of my future because of the trauma I experienced in my past. We experience these vulnerabilities, these weaknesses inside of our humanity, and when we come face to face with these real issues of our life, a lot of the time what I watch people do is slowly make their way into a corner. They find their comfort zones and they do their very, very best to exist, to isolate themselves from the potential of pain that can come from life. But I want to tell you something this morning. It was never meant to be this way. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 tells us this that no temptation has overtaken us except what is common to man. I love what it says here, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, the scripture says, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You know what I realized from reading this scripture is 
Paul is writing and encouraging these different people in these different cities is that what he's letting us know is that God knows that each of us are going to go through things in our life. God knows that we're going to experience trials and temptations and situations. He knows that things aren't necessarily going to go the way that we think that they're supposed to go. But what Paul is writing in this passage of Scripture is he's reminding us that even though things may not go the way you think they're supposed to go, even though the situation doesn't turn out the way you think it's supposed to turn out, Paul is letting us know that regardless of what it is that you face in your life, whether it's up, whether it's down, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, Paul is letting us know that wherever we find ourselves in every moment of our life, God is faithful to always be with us as we walk through those challenges. The Bible tells us that God actually uses, this scripture is encouraging us to realize that God actually uses these moments of pressure to ignite progress in our life. That God uses, he, Paul goes on in, in, in this letter and writes to us and encourages us that as we experience these trials or these temptations, that they're not set against us to destroy us. They're not sent against us to take us out, but Paul writes and lets us know that God actually uses these very things in order to create in us the strength, the fortitude, to be able to walk all the way to the perfect destiny that God has for us. He tells us in this scripture that God will provide a way for us to endure. Now, this word endure kind of bothers me. I got to be honest with you because the word endure, you know, there's been so many prayers that I've prayed in my life where the prayer goes something like this, God, please save me, you know, or rescue me, God, from this situation. But you know what, I, 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 I get challenged sometimes by these biblical passages because that's not the way that God responds. God tells us here, Paul writing about the nature of God tells us that God is not going to just rescue us. In fact, David writes a very similar passage when he writes that you lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, this bums me out sometimes because at least the way that I pray is I would pray, God, lead me around the valley of the shadow of death. You know, God, take me on wings with eagles and soar me high above the valley of the shadow. of. But that's not what God says. God says, and David says, and Paul tells us that he gives us the strength to endure as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we walk through the challenge I heard one pastor say one time that when you're walking through hell, just keep walking. And you see, this is what the scripture is encouraging us to understand is, it's not that God is just going to rescue us from these issues. It's not that I think that sometimes in our culture, we equate difficult or challenging as bad. That whenever something isn't easy or it's not just handed to us, we could feel as though the pressure or the discomfort that it creates on the inside of us somehow means that the direction we're trying to go is wrong. Instead, what the Apostle Paul is telling us is that pressure, challenge, trials is perfectly normal. And that while sometimes in the midst of that trouble, it can feel as though everything in our life is falling apart. That sometimes, like, maybe you've experienced things like me in the Sudan where I feel like there's no way that I'm going to get out of this. 
Paul tells us that God is faithful, that anything that you might find yourself in this morning, whether it seems like the biggest thing that you've ever dealt with, whether logically, emotionally, there's no possible way of escape, the promise that the Apostle Paul tells us is that the very fact that I'm here means that God has already provided a way out for me. This is what David realized when he wrote that scripture. I think it was the revelation that he had as he ran into battle with Goliath, where everyone was running away from it. He ran to it because he knew and believed and was convinced in the faithful nature of God. And so you might be sitting here this morning asking this question, which I'm sure most of you are. Well, if that's the truth, then how do I endure? Because if this is the name of the game is really enduring, we know that Galatians tells us that, that we will reap if we, what, faint not. And so we realize scripturally that as God is talking to us about these biblical principles, I think it's sometimes we've bought this idea that, you know, when things are the right or the conditions are right, that it's just going to happen. But scripture tells us that the way that it happens is simple is that every single day, whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it, you just simply keep showing up. You just keep enduring. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other. You just keep taking one step deeper into it. And God promises us that the result of that is that we would experience the harvest, the fruit, the life that each of us desire to experience. That there is no secret ingredient there's not trying to be good enough or pray enough or read enough or do any of those things that sometimes we can feel. The scripture tells us that all I have to do is simply endure on the knowledge of the faithfulness of God. And so like I said, how do I endure? Because I tell you, endurance isn't necessarily something in our culture that we necessarily learn about. You know, we are the microwave, fast food, do to your door in 10 or it's free generation. We are the instant gratification, get it now people. And I think that sometimes, biblically, the challenge is, is that God plays the long game. Because God isn't confined by the time thing that we are, you know, where we experience life day to day in the difficulty and the struggle of this moment. God is seeing the beautiful, glorious future, and he's willing to let us go through the difficulties so that we could get the strength in order to endure to get to the place where we're living in the glorious future. You know, Danielle and I were on a walk yesterday, walking Lola home, and we were talking about how when she was first learning how to stand in her crib, um, she, one of the things that she discovered was she knew how to get up. And for those of you who have kids, you'll know this. She was amazing at getting up. She loved to stand up. The only problem was she had no idea how to get down. And so my six-month-old daughter figured that the best way to get down is simply just to put her arms out and fall backwards, okay? And so this is what she would do. And as parents, we're watching our six-month-old, you know, like we want to like put her in a bubble suit because we're like, we want to protect her at all costs. 
But you know, we realized, you know, at first we like put pillows in her crib. And so basically it was like she had like a little two by two square that she could sleep in. And we had pillows surrounding her and we wanted to put like a helmet on her or something. We we're like Googling, you know, can you buy hockey helmets for babies? And because we want to do everything we can. But we realized, we woke up one morning and realized that if we don't allow her to go through this difficult situation that was God intended for her to be able to learn we would be taking away the strength that would then carry it. Because this is, you know, we were laughing yesterday thinking that we would be those parents, if it wasn't for this moment, we would be these parents where she's 35 and we're still like trying to like protect her and make sure that she's going in the right direction. And sometimes the challenge is, is that we can see that in this natural example where parents or, you know, if you have a pet or, you know, you have a business with your employees, you'll allow people to go through a challenge because we see what the challenge is going to produce. You see, God is the exact same with us. As he tells us, he'll give us the strength to endure because he understands that we need the wisdom, the fortitude, the strength, the determination that comes from winning the battle that we're fighting. So the question then is, how do we endure? Because if my way of escape from the situation that I'm in is directly related to my ability to endure, I want to know how do I endure. So I got three things for you to write down this morning. Actually, I think they're in your bulletins. The three points are there. The first, the first uh, point is we have to kill the quit or quit the quit. Quit the quit. I can't tell you how many times I have quit things in my life because of the pressure. You know, in fact, as I look back on my preaching career, in the beginning, I'm pretty sure that I quit preaching. Actually, I'm pretty sure that I quit church in general every single time I preached. You know, it didn't, the message didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to go. And I can remember after every, you know, Friday night that we would have our youth group, I can remember going on these long walks with God where I was, that was it. I'm done. I quit. You didn't do things the way that I thought it was supposed to go. It didn't happen the way that I thought it. So God, I am done. Now, I'm so thankful that I never actually quit. You know, we have this idea of what life is supposed to be like, you know, when you wrote those things down or thought about your life when you were maybe like an eight-year-old and you think like, I'm definitely going to be married by the time I'm 21 and I'm going to have a great family and I'm going to live in a million-dollar home by the time that I'm 25. And then you hit 25 and you realize you're still living in your parents' basement and you're 10 pounds overweight and nobody could ever want to date you even, right? That's a little bit of my story, I guess, but that's cool. <laughs> But I realized in life that things don't necessarily go the way that you think that they're supposed to go. And sometimes what can happen is, is, that, is that when they don't go the way that we're supposed to go, we feel such an intense urge to quit because we feel like, what's the point? But I think this is what Paul says when he makes this statement, when you are tempted. It doesn't say if you're tempted. It doesn't say you might be tempted. It tells you, listen, when you're tempted. This is the Apostle Paul letting us know that, listen, stuff is going to happen. Listen, things in life aren't going to go the way that you think that they're supposed to go. Things are going to set out in one course, and then one day you might wake up, and the perfect plan takes this crazy right turn, and you feel like, what on earth just happened? This is what the Apostle Paul is telling us, is that when things happen, letting us know that there's nothing wrong with you when things don't go the way. It's not because of some great sin or that you are so ill-equipped. 
the Bible is letting us know that this is just a part of the process. It's just a part of what happens. But it's in these moments what the Apostle Paul is telling us that we learn the greatest lesson in the midst of our trial. We learn how to trust God. You know what I've realized in life? When things are going really good, I don't need to trust God. You know, like when I have a surplus of money in my bank account and bills come in the mail, I'm just like, right? I'm just like shelling out the money. It's not a big deal. I don't. When everything is good and is easy, I don't have to trust God. I could trust myself or my bank account or I could trust my friends or my wife or the, the structure that I put around myself. But I tell you, it's in these moments when the chips are down, when it seems as though there's no possible way, these are the moments where we're forced to trust God. And the greatest lesson, the greatest gift the New Testament tells us that we can receive is the absolute overwhelming trust in the nature of God. And so when I realized this, I realized that in the midst of my trial, my objective is, is I'm not trying to figure it out. What I'm trying to do is, is I'm trying to trust God. Because this is what I've realized. I had a conversation with a pastor in Israel, and he was challenging me to think about some of the things that I think and believe. And he, he ended his, the conversation with this statement where he said that, the, the, he told me in the scripture that says that God's ways are higher than our ways. That's what the scripture says. My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I realized something is that as I walk through situations in my life, as I go through difficulties, I'm not trying to bring God down to my level. I'm not trying to get God to figure out the solution through the lens of what I can understand or I can make happen. The Bible doesn't tell us that his ways are higher because we need to try to figure out a way to get God to come down to our level. The Bible tells us that his ways are higher than our ways because we have to learn how to trust God because things aren't necessarily going to make sense when we first step into the situation. That God has ways of figuring things out in these situations in our lives that are way beyond our comprehension. So I'm not trying to get God to come down to my level. I'm trying to figure out how to get up to God's level. And so when I'm put in a situation where I have the opportunity to trust, I choose to trust because I want God to bring me up to his level. I preached about this a few months ago. It's funny how situations in our life we find ourselves where we're going through something and we feel as though God has absolutely abandoned us. Or we feel as though no good can possibly come from this. It was like when I was preaching in the very beginning and I would flop and embarrass myself and it was so horrible and I thought, what possibly, God, how could you possibly use this utmost of embarrassment in my life? Now, looking back 10 years, I confidently say, man, I'm so thankful that I went through those things. I'm so thankful that I went through that difficulty. I'm so thankful that I was forced to learn how to trust in God, not in my own ability. I'm so thankful that I learned how to be humble. And, and, and I'm so thankful that I learned how to, to reach for God and to find God in those moments of difficulty. It's funny how we go through situations in life that way, like Lola in the future will be so thankful that I let her fall in her crib so that she figured out how to go from standing to sitting. Because that's a pretty valuable skill in our culture. 
But this is why in these situations, I'm not quitting. I'm trusting. Number two, I have to kill the victim. Kill the victim. I think the worst thing that comes from trauma is that trauma so easily imprints on our identity. That instead of that business you started failing, it becomes, I'm a failure. And we walk around life with these labels on us. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm too this. I'm not enough that. I should be this. I shouldn't be that. And this is what I love about this scripture is the Apostle Paul, as he opens up this verse, he tells us, he makes this statement. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. I think that what the Apostle Paul is telling us in this passage is, is that everyone has pain. Everyone has experienced failure. Everyone has been hurt. Everyone has hurt others. Everyone has felt alone. Everyone has felt afraid. We've all gone through different situations, but if you boil everything down, it's funny how we all have the same root issues. It's like when I do counseling or therapy with people as we, you know, dig into things with people and maybe it's their first or their second time talking to me and, and it's almost like they're biting their nails as we get closer to the root issue and finally they get to that moment where the light bulb goes off and they're going to say, this is so crazy and I, I don't even know if I could say it, but I, I think that I feel like I'm not good enough. And it almost produces like a chuckle under my breath as I turn to them and I say, listen, every single person, maybe you went through a weird situation that got you there. Maybe it was this thing or that thing. Maybe your story is different than mine. But what the Apostle Paul is telling us is that, listen, we all feel and experience the same things. And instead of allowing those things to disqualify you, what God is telling us is that those things actually become the foundation, the building blocks of what qualify us to live inside of our destiny. Can I tell you something? You may have gone through stuff, and all of us have, but you do not have to let those things define you. You know, the enemy sometimes does that in life where he makes us feel like our past decisions or our past failures disqualify us from God's future plans. I can't tell you how many times when I was younger, I always thought, if you're familiar with it in scripture, it's called the unpardonable sin, you know? And one of the things about growing up the way that I did, I didn't necessarily serve God through my teenage years, is I was always convinced that I had committed the unpardonable sin. Now, I had no idea what the unpardonable sin was, but I was definitely sure this time I had committed it. And I was so, my identity had become so distorted that I thought always that I was going to be disqualified from God being able to use me. But now I realize that as I preach and as I talk to people is that God actually uses our story. It's funny how people can connect with my pain. That when I share my story, it actually becomes a reference point for people to be able to experience hope. Because if God could get me through, then God could get them through. And so instead of letting it define me, Paul reminds me that all I need to do is I need to get my eyes off of the problems and onto the promise. 
that I need to get my eyes off of all the things that maybe I have done wrong and begin to focus on the nature and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God. Because I got news for you, each and every one of us, no one in this room deserves the fullness of the promise of what God plans to unleash and unpack in your life. But the beauty of it is, is that even though we don't deserve it, we qualify for it, not because of what we've done, because of what Jesus did. So Paul's telling us that God is not intimidated by our humanity. I mean, even the Apostle Paul says this, why do I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I know that I should do? And you're like, what are you talking about, Paul? That like, you are basically perfect. But we realize that God is not intimidated by our humanity. He's not intimidated by our mess-ups or our, we're the ones who label ourselves. We're the ones who allow situations to tell us something about our identity. But what the Apostle Paul is telling us is, listen, we've all, we've all gone through this stuff. And instead of focusing on the stuff, it's time that we begin to focus on God. You know, I realize when we start to do this, when we start to take off the labels, when we start deciding to let go of the pain, we start deciding to forgive that person or to forgive ourselves, we realize that we aren't that broken, messed up loser that we've so often thought that we were. That failure, that not good enough person, I start to realize as I begin to focus on the nature of God, I realize I'm not those things that life has tried to tell me, but I'm a child of God. That when Jesus had the choice, when God had the choice to choose between Jesus and me, he chose me. Can I tell you something? When Jesus died on the cross, he saw each and every one of our faces. He saw that his sacrifice was worthy of your life. And so often we forget about the fact that our dad is almighty God and we paint ourselves with the wrong brush instead of realizing that if God was willing to trade Jesus for me, what does that say about me? And as I begin to take off the labels that life has put on me, I begin to realize that I am actually ready to embark on the challenge of what God has set before me. The third point is that I need to embrace the challenge. I'm so grateful that God is faithful. I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for the faithfulness of God. I think this is the climax of this passage of Scripture when Paul reminds us that no matter how bad things seem, God is faithful in the middle of it. You know, I've learned it's always better to focus on the faithfulness, the goodness, the love of God than it is to focus on my situation. I've realized that. You know, you could never be in a bad enough mood for that bad mood to make you feel good. You know, you could never have a pity party that's so grand that that pity party starts to make me feel good about myself. I've realized something, that focusing on the negative things in life doesn't actually create the life that I desire to live. And so when I'm given the opportunity to either focus on the difficulty or focus on the faithfulness of God, I've learned it's better for me to focus on the faithfulness of God. You see, I don't have to have all the answers. It's not my job to know how to do this or when to do that. It's my job to stay connected to Jesus. 
And as I'm connected to Jesus, what that does in me is it produces an inshakability. It produces a sustainability on the inside of my heart. Where no matter what comes, it's like the scripture says that I built my house on the rock. And so now as the wind and the waves come, as they will, I cannot be shaken because I've built on a solid foundation. You see, this is what this morning is all about, is we're talking about all in. As we're, you know, wearing the t-shirts and we're talking about it and you got a card about all in. I believe that what God is asking us this morning is, is that, will we be all in? Will we make the decision and the determination that says, I'm never going to go back? I'm not going back to the fear. I'm not going back to that bad relationship. I'm not going back to the small thinking. I'm not going back to that addiction. I'm not just a little bit in. I'm not just like dip my toe in. I'm not like ankle deep or waist deep. But I'm making a decision this morning that I'm going to be all in. You see, this is what baptism is all about in our life. This is why we get baptized. And sometimes we get baptized time after time after time because it's an outward expression of an inward reality in our heart. It's an outward expression that there are some things that I'm just putting to death. There are some things that I'm never going back to. There's some things that I'm never going to say over myself or feel in situations in life. I'm putting to death that feeling that I'm a failure. I'm putting to death that feeling that I'm not good enough. And I'm choosing that I come out from the water. As I emerge from this place, what I'm doing is I'm saying that part of me is dead. And this part of me is now alive. The part of me that says I'm a child of God, that I'm a son of the Most High, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is what all in is all about. It's about realizing that we don't have to live under the labels. But that we're burying those things in the water. And we're emerging out of that place in the reality of the faithfulness of God. Because can I tell you, church, this morning, there has never been a moment that God has left you. There's never been a situation. There's never been a second. I don't care how dark life has felt. The Bible promises us in the book of Psalms, it says, where can I go that you aren't already there? That sometimes it's in the darkest places, like David in the cave of Adullam. It says that it was so dark in there that you couldn't even see his hand. It was just the absolute uh, uh, pitch black darkness. But it's out of that place and in those moments that he wrote some of the most beautiful psalms. Because sometimes it's in the darkest moments of our life that we begin to see the beautiful, bright nature of our Savior, Jesus. David said it like this as I close. He says, I've been young and I've been old. He says, I've seen things. I've seen the battles and I've seen the palace and I've been on the run and I've been loved and I've been hated and I've been chased and I've been shamed and I've been elevated, elevated and I've been praised. I've gone through every season and situation in my life, but there's one thing that I have never seen. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. That's why I'm all in, because I realize I was born to win this fight. I was born to be victorious. I was born to be an overcomer. And I want to encourage you. I believe that this morning God is looking for a response that says, if this is you, 
and you're saying, yeah, there's, I've been carrying around this proverbial overstuffed backpack in my life that's just full of junk that I've been carrying around. If you say, that's me, and I find myself in that place, I'm going to encourage you, as you walk out of the service today, you're going to find sign-ups for baptism. You're going to see t-shirts. You're going to see an opportunity to have a coffee time with LCSM. I want to encourage you that maybe this is your moment. This is the starting point. This is the opportunity that God is extending for you to begin to shed all the junk that we've been carrying and step into the glorious future of what God has for us. Amen. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, this morning, we're so grateful for your goodness in our life. We know, Father, that you are everything that we would need. And we choose this morning to see you and not see our problems. To glorify you and not the battle. To give you our attention. Lord, we choose this morning, God, to strip off the labels. Mm -hmm. Whether it's through LCSM, through baptism, or just something we do in a quiet conversation with you right now. We choose, Father, to step into the newness of life that you promised to us. Yes. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.